If you'd like to sit, Gloria's now going to read. The first reading is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you. So we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking, I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Mark, chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. While he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. 
Therefore you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Shall we pray? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak over these next three Sundays on the theme of a harvest of generosity. Each week we're going to explore together how we excel in giving. And on each occasion I'm going to leave us with the same question for each of us to respond to before God of how much will we sow to reap a harvest of generosity? Because your giving matters now more than ever. Historically, it's normally been at this time of year, in this season of harvest, we would have both a gift day and also ask each of us to review our annual giving to our church. So at the outset, can I say thank you to all of you who've faithfully given to our church and especially have continued in this vein during these past seven months. Because your giving matters now more than ever. By now you may be wondering, have I become so popular on YouTube that Diet Coke are sponsoring me? The answer is no. And by the way, other versions of Coke are available. But you should be able to see, hopefully with me, hopefully you can count them, 10 cans of, of Diet Coke. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine with each of these 10 cans of Diet Coke that they represent your monthly income. Maybe it comes in the form of a pension for some of you. Maybe for some of you it comes in the form of a salary. Maybe for, for some it, oh, you also receive some investments each month. Or maybe you, some of your money comes from the bank of mum and dad. You get my point. Now imagine, if you will, how you allocate these 10 cans of Diet Coke each month. Maybe you have a a mortgage to pay or rent to pay and maybe one of them or maybe two of them or maybe three of them may go on that. Maybe you have a loan for a car and maybe one or two goes to pay for that. Maybe another one or two goes to pay for children and obviously maybe another one goes on food and drink each month, maybe another one on holidays and maybe you put another one like this maybe away for savings and so on. Let me ask you a question as you look at these 10 cans of Diet Coke. Who is the owner of your 10 cans of Diet Coke? And you may say, I am. I've earned it in some way. It's mine. 
I hear those words a lot. On occasions, I'm prone to even think and say them myself. But this isn't what the Bible says. It says God is the owner of all the Diet Coke cans. Remember in the opening words of King David in Psalm 24, we heard earlier in our service, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. I remember the words of King David. Some of us grew up on these words every Sunday. We said them at a communion service when he presents before God his own and the people's offerings to build the temple. And what did he say? These words, yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. And then he would go on to say, but who am I and what is my people? that we will be able to make this free will offering. For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. In other words, everything we have comes from you, God. And we give you only what you first gave us. This idea of giving back to God what he has first given us has its origins back in the opening pages of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, when first Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, and then secondly his grandson Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, gave or pledged to give one-tenth or the first can of ten back to God. This idea of giving the first tenth back to God became known in the Old Testament as the tithe, because this is what the Hebrew word means. And over the next four books of the Bible, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, we then see a framework laid out for how this was to occur, which was still in operation in Jesus' day. From reading this part of the Old Testament, we would see there would be three different types of tithe the Israelites would give back to God, from their land, their herd and their flocks. Firstly, there was the priestly tithe given every year to the priests for their work. Secondly, there were the festival tithes given throughout the year at the three major Jewish feasts of Passover, of weeks and tabernacles. And by the way, all of those were harvest festivals because like different crops today are harvested at different times of the year, that was the case then too. Thirdly, there was the charity tithe, which was given every three years, and used for the care of the poor. If we, though, were to study further, we'd know how it didn't stop there. You see, the Israelites were also encouraged to be generous in other ways, to always be open-handed and not tight-fisted, as Deuteronomy says. For instance, when the farmers gleaned or when they harvested their fields, they were encouraged to be sloppy about it and leave some for the poor to pick up later. Also, the Israelites were to practice both what is known as the Sabbath law, when they left their fields to rest every seventh year and cancel debts, and also the year of Jubilee, where once every 49 years there was to be no planting, no harvesting, where debts were to be forgiven and slaves were to be set free. It was within this spirit of generosity and specifically about giving to those in need, which sets the context to our reading today from the book of 2 Corinthians. In this passage, we see mention of the perhaps a first century equivalent of what we know today as a disaster relief fund. It was called the Jerusalem Collection for the church in Jerusalem, which were probably suffering from a mixture of famine 
and food shortages and double taxation and overpopulation. It's from this passage we begin to see how we saw a harvest of generosity and excel in giving. If you and I want to sow a harvest of generosity and excel in giving, it only begins with a conversion, as we read in verse 1, by the grace of God. If we were to then read the next nine verses in the Greek New Testament, we would find that this word for grace, the Greek word charis, is mentioned on six different occasions. If you've got a Bible open or it's on your phone, look with me. In verse 2, the word that's translated joy is actually the Greek word grace. In verse 4, the word translated privilege is the Greek word grace. In verses 6, 7 and 9, the word translated each time generous is the word grace. It is the grace of God which is the reason why we give, as was seen in the words of St. Paul, in the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Christian giving isn't inspired by charity. It's inspired by the incarnation and especially the death of Jesus Christ who gave up the riches of his life in heaven and yet for each of us became poor in terms of becoming a human being and by the way that he lived so that by coming to earth and dying on a cross we could know the riches of God, namely salvation and all its priceless blessings. Our giving is therefore a measure of our love for Jesus. As Paul said, Paul would say in verse 18, I am testing the genuineness of your love. Or in the words of the 19th and 20th century missionary Amy Carmichael, who devoted her life to fight against sex trafficking and abuse of children in India. One can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. This is the reason. Why we give. Each of us needs to go through a conversion of grace when it comes to our wallet or purse and allow the riches of Christ that we have because of his incarnation and his death to sow a harvest of generosity for us to excel in giving. As I said earlier, your giving matters now more than ever. We're living through multiple crises in our world which has led to huge volatility all over the place of rapid and unexpected challenges. There's massive uncertainty ahead with so much rapid change. There are challenges which are extreme in their complexities where so many determining factors are in play. And of course, there's so much ambiguity out there. No one knows what's going to happen next and when it's going to end. There are too many unknown unknowns. Those issues are affecting all of us, including the church. It's why your giving matters now more than ever. You may be thinking now is a time to reduce my giving or not to give. This is why we need to follow the example of the Macedonian churches in this passage from 2 Corinthians, who demonstrated through God's grace how to sow a harvest of generosity and excel in giving. Even, listen to me, in the severe crises they were facing. The Macedonian churches, we know them as the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea, 
who'd been planted by St. Paul on his second missionary journey. You can read about them in Acts chapter 16 and 17. And of course, in two of the cases, we have the letters Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica and to Philippi. It's important we understand the context of their giving. It was not a time of affluence for them. It was a during a time for them we read of severe ordeal, affliction. Sound familiar? Also, they were extremely poor. The word here for poverty can literally mean they were beggars and certainly destitute of riches and abundance. We're not told what was the cause of their poverty, but it was probably related to social ostracism and harassment as a result of their new faith. But from this ordeal, welled up an overflow, which is the same Greek word as excel in verse 7, of abundance, which was both voluntary and well beyond their resources. We can identify from these churches at least three ways of what it looked like to excel in giving when times were desperate. Firstly, their giving was spectacular for the reasons mentioned, which doesn't mean it was necessarily huge, but it was certainly extravagant in their context and not what was expected. Secondly, their giving was sacrificial. It cost for them to give. We read they gave according to their means and even beyond their means of what was comfortable and affordable. And it was their choice to do this. And thirdly, we read that their gift was an act of service. This is something that they were begging, literally begging to be involved with, to share in the ministry with others. We can identify those same three marks of excelling in giving, of sowing to produce a harvest of generosity in the woman who broke open her alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus' head. It was spectacular. It was sacrificial in more ways than one, and it was an act of service. Or here's Amy again. One can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. Your giving matters now more than ever. As most of us will know, we're seeing harvest this year when we might have had a gift day in October, not so much as one date, but a gifting month of October. We're encouraging all of us to give to the life of mission and ministry through this church, whether at the parish church or St. George's, because it's, it's not about buildings. Due to either the parishioners in the case of the parish church or the reserves of St. George's Club, we don't need funds for either building. This is funds for what the life of the church here is called to be. We're asking every member, because giving is an every member ministry, to do three things. Firstly, for all of us to review our giving and consider increasing it by at least inflation. Secondly, for some, we're asking you to change the way you give. And if you don't already give in this way, to set up a standing order for monthly giving. As you know, we've not been able to take an offertory since the second week in March and realistically we won't be ever going back to it. Thirdly, if you're able to, to give a one-off gift as a gift day amount. This might mean for some you're able to give an extra amount for gift day. For others it may mean that you're able to give a one-off gift to cover those Sundays when you've not been able to give via the offertory plate. 
Of course, in the latter two cases, if you're a taxpayer, your gift will be added to by 25% by the government purse. Can I close, though, this morning, as I began, by saying thank you? Obviously, I can't speak into each of our individual situations. We know times are tough, which is why the challenge is higher. I know for some of you, and I hear some may have lost income from investments, or you're facing an uncertain future in terms of your job, or you've lost your job. So thank you for listening, and thank you if you've been able to continue to give through this time, especially by standing order. Thank you if you've already increased your standing order or given towards gift day already. Thank you if you've changed to give by standing order. And thank you if you've already given a one-off amount to cover the Sundays without an offer tree in our services. Because, finish it with me, your giving matters now more than ever. So let's begin to answer that question. How much will we sow to reap a harvest of generosity? Shall we pray? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, who gave us in Jesus Christ the example of what it means to be truly generous, help each one of us to respond in love to your grace and mirror the practices of the Macedonian churches by excelling in our giving. In Jesus' name.